this is Jim. Welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'll be your host today. Um, a lot of news stories coming out this week. A lot of really interesting things. Um, but let me start with, um, we have a lot of good stuff, but um, Governor Whitmer got her first vaccination, or I don't know if it's a first, but um, she got vaccinated just the other day. And uh, one enterprising reporter had the gall to ask her if she was scared. That's hard-hitting news right there. Um, but what do you expect? I mean, they're not going to go... Uh, but I just thought it was kind of a dumb question. I mean, why would they ask anybody that? Are you scared? I mean, millions of people around the country are getting their vaccination. Why would you ask the governor if she is scared when everyone else is doing it and nobody else is? It's not like there's huge side effects going on. But anyway, one interesting bit of news that came out of that was that she's talking about by summer reopening the entire economy. So let's hope for that. That would be phenomenal. It would be great. Um, uh, the cynical part of me <laughs> thinks that it's purely political because she's running for re-election next year. So if she reopens the economy this year, by next year, the economy should be roaring again. I mean, it'll take a while this year, even if the economy's reopened, for everything to start, you know, for people to get out and, and you know, start getting jobs and getting money. So by next year, it'll be really going well, you know, so, but still, whatever her motives are, whether they're pure or political. Um, I'll just be happy to see the economy reopen. So I'm excited about that. Um, here, we have a story from the AP. Uh, this is all Michigan residents ages 16 and up are eligible for the vaccine. All people ages 16 and older in Michigan became eligible for COVID-19 vaccines on Monday as the state passed the halfway point in its goal of inoculating 70% of that population by year's end. More than 36% of roughly 8.1 million residents had received at least one shot as of Sunday, a share that has tripled in two months. Federal regulators have not authorized vaccinations of children ages 15 and below, though clinical trials are underway. In the Lansing area, health officials strongly recommended that middle and high school schools suspend in-person learning when instruction resumes next week after spring break. Oh, oh that's just silliness. Just silliness. Um, and then it goes on. The article just goes on about them being afraid of kids transmitting the virus and just a little argument about kids playing sports and both sides, you know, one side thinking that it's time to open up other sides saying, no, let's wait. And it's just kind of monotonous. I, we've heard this many times already, but if you'd like to read it for yourself, it's in the AP. Um, it's an article by David Eggert. So um, if you want to check that out, go ahead. Um, one thing about, I've noticed about, uh, it's really tough finding information about Michigan Michigan politics. It really is. 
on my Twitter, I have a list called Michigan Politics in which I follow several different sources uh, in Michigan, news sources. That way it helps me when I'm doing this podcast. But unfortunately, 90, well, well, okay, 90% of it in general is a two categories, it seems like. We either have national news, which is just constantly, there's just constant national news about, well, it used to be about Trump, now about Biden infrastructure and, and various things. And then the other half of that 90% tends to be about Michigan sports, you know. You know, this, uh, this particular basketball team is doing well. Hudsonville's playing here. You know, um, it's just, uh, um, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people who are interested in sports, and I'm not saying they shouldn't cover it, but it seems like that should be a different section, like sports, Michigan sports, not, you know, Wood TV 8 or the Detroit Free Press or the, you know, whatever, you know, all these different newspapers and internet news sources and TV news sources. I mean, there's just been a lot of time talking about hockey and baseball and basketball and football and, you know, high school sports and national sports or state sports, I guess. And so it, it just, it's a little annoying because I don't know. It doesn't give me really much news. So sometimes it's really hard to find Local news, Michigan news, um, which is upsetting because I would like to know what's going on in our state at times. But, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. Um, I don't know what to do about it. Um, but if you know of any good sources, let me know. Email us or, or talk to us on our Facebook or our website or whatever, and let us know of any good sources you know of, because I'm always looking for some good sources that give me Michigan news. Um, uh, in more of a national news, I guess, there's a couple of articles, a couple of things going on. One thing, it's not really... A, Really, I'm not going to talk about a whole lot, but I just think it's interesting, you know, just picking on the Republicans for a minute. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, he's he's all upset about um, these businesses boycotting Georgia because of their recent um, uh, legislation about voting rights. I don't know the ins and outs all of it, but. A number of companies are boycotting Georgia. Um, so <laughs> Mitch McConnell now is telling CEOs, I mean, he said this the other day in a speech or a statement, I guess, that Mitch McConnell tells CEOs to stay out of politics. And he said, but this is not referring to political donations. He just thinks they should shut up when it comes to politics. Now, I thought that was kind of a funny thing to say. I mean, so basically what he's saying is uh, keep your mouth shut, but your wallet's open. You know, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, 
businesses are going to take political positions. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, in Holland, we have, uh, you know, and, and all over we have uh, barbers and hairdressers and, and shops who are refusing to abide by the uh, mask mandates and things like this because, you know, they, they have a right as a business to, you know, to stay open or to, to make their own regulations. That's being involved in politics. Uh, you know, you have uh, Hobby Lobby who refused to enforce some of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare because it went against their religious convictions as the owners. Um, you know, businesses, because they're run by people and people have political and religious beliefs, um, there's always going to be some element of politics in businesses. So I just think it's rather odd that he's taking a stand. And then I just thought that was just really weird to add the, this isn't referring to political donations, like Mitch McConnell, he likes his political donations. He gets a lot of money from businesses and that's why he votes very pro-business almost all the time. I mean, that's where his money comes from. His money does not come from the grassroots. It's not the people. He doesn't, Mitch McConnell doesn't serve the people. He serves corporations because that is where he gets his money from. That's how he gets reelected. So, you know, so for him to come out and walk this fine line and then to say it, I mean, to say it privately, I could understand, but to come out publicly and say, you know, don't take positions, but still give us money. I just thought it was a really dumb thing to say. I mean, it just, it's just really ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He's just, Mr. McConnell, I'm not a big fan of him anyway. Um, this one I'll give you without comment. Just that, um, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as Bruce, is uh, contemplating running for governor of California against Gavin Newsom, which is interesting. Um, I'm not going to really comment a whole lot about about that because it's not in our state, but just an interesting twist. I will say, though, this will be difficult for the Democrats if Jenner gets the nomination because Jenner is uh, transgendered or whatever. And... Uh, Jenner would be running as a Republican. So um, it would be, it's going to be difficult for them to, you know, because they're always talking about the importance of symbolism and, you know, their main reason for why we should elect Hillary Clinton in 2016 was symbolically it was important for girls to see a female president. I mean, it had nothing to do with her policies or whether she'd be good or not. Just it was be good for, for women and girls to see a woman and they've talked about this with Biden's cabinet that, you know, it's important, you know, not about their policies, but it's important to have a Native American on the, in the cabinet. It's important to have a gay person in the cabinet. It's important to have women in the cabinet, you know, so that um, people can feel represented. So I'm not sure what tactic they would take if a transgender Republican runs for governor. Because their argument has always been, it doesn't matter the policies. 
it matters representation is what's important. So are they going to take that same position on a Republican? Now, when you stop laughing, you can uh, – I'm not expecting an answer because we all know the answer to that. Um, that suddenly politics will be important, and they will say things like, it doesn't matter if a transgender person runs. It's got, they've got to have the right ideas. It's got to be – you know, so – but it'll be interesting if that actually happens. I personally don't support it um, for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into, but because it's not my state, so my opinion really isn't relevant. But I just think it'll be an interesting race to watch if Jenner actually does go through with this. Um, it'd be an interesting race to watch to see how it plays out politically. Um, Let's see. Uh, another issue that doesn't involve our state, but um, but it has to do with Arkansas. The governor recently. Okay, here's here's the deal. They, the Arkansas legislature, which is primarily Republican, passed a bill through both houses of the legislature that would ban. Um, uh, I can't think what the term is, uh, but anyway, uh, but changing hormone therapy and things like this for minors. And um, the governor, Asia Hutchinson, originally said he was going to veto the bill. Or, you know, he was going to pass the bill. I'm sorry. He originally said he was going to pass the bill. But for reasons that I don't quite know. When the bill came to his desk, he vetoed it. And of course, it was overridden recently by the Arkansas legislature. But he's getting a lot of blowback from Republicans and conservatives for vetoing this bill. And he was on Tucker Carlson the other day. And I guess I didn't see it, but I guess Tucker Carlson really embarrassed him. I mean, humiliated him. But, and, and, and rightfully so, I think. Uh, and I'm not talking necessarily about my position on that. I, I happen to agree with the Arkansas legislature that, you know, when you're an adult, you can do what you want. I mean, I don't like it, but if you want to do that to your body, then there's not really any, there's not really anything a person can do about it, but as far as minors, no, I don't I don't agree with uh, these uh, therapies um, for for minors to change their their sex and things like that. But even if I didn't, the fact that he flip flopped is the big issue. Why would you say publicly you're going to support that and then veto it? I don't understand, but, um, but I mean, he's just getting ripped apart and, you know, this is very similar to what happened uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago with Kirsty Kirsty Noem, uh, the South Dakota governor, when she said she was going to support a bill that would not allow boys to compete in girls sports. And then when it came to her desk, she decided to veto it. 
course, in her case, we do know why. We know that there were a number of venues that were going to boycott the state if she passed that. So she um, decided to veto it. I don't know if that's what happened. I suspect that's what's happened here, is that they don't want the same thing to happen to Arkansas that happened to Georgia, where people start pulling out of the state, businesses start pulling out and boycotting the state. But I don't know. I don't have any proof that that's why. But um, I, I, I just, it's just becoming so hard to find people of principle to serve in politics right now. It seems like nobody wants, nobody wants to risk losing their job over principle, which I don't understand what Asia Hutchinson's uh, uh, problem is because he's, he's term limited. He can't run for re-election. Next year, they're going to elect a new governor. So I'm not sure why he's so concerned, unless he's thinking about running for president or something. Because I know that was one of the problems Kirsty Noem suffered, is she wants to run for president in four years. And she can't afford to have the economy tank in her state with all the boycotts. It would, it would hurt her when she runs for, for, when she runs for president. Or re-election, whichever one. Um, at, you know, all of Washington, it's kind of an open secret that she's planning to run for president, but things could change, and she might just stay in uh, stay in governors, govern in the governor's race. But but Asia Hector said, I don't know what his what his deal is, why he would flip flop on this issue. But um, yeah, it's just it's just really odd that we're finding so few people of principle to serve in government. That they're not going to take, they're not going to make decisions that might be considered unpopular by some group. Which every decision you make is going to be unpopular with somebody. You know, every decision you make, there isn't going to be one decision that everybody in the entire country is going to support. There just isn't going to be. Everything you do is going to affect somebody in a negative way. Everything you do is going to. Um, upset a certain population of the people. Uh, so you have to vote what you think is best and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, if, if, you know, if you stand up for principle and it turns out that the people vote against you, well, at least you stood up for what you believed in. And if the people didn't accept that, then that's fine. But you didn't betray your principles. Um, you know, we know we've seen that many times in the past. It, it doesn't always work out negatively, but there have been some times in politics where uh, a president or somebody has taken a position that they believe strongly in, and they lost as a result. But they weren't going to compromise their principles. Uh, I, I, you know, one of them is George H. W. Bush. He ran on the promise of "read my lips, no new taxes." He got into office, and I think in, in the right before the midterms, the economy was in serious trouble, and there was a real fear that the economy was going to collapse. I can't remember all the details as to why it was at that point, but he was left with some really bad options, and the only, the best of those bad options was that he had to raise taxes in order to save the economy. He, he 
went with a principle. Like he said, I know this is going to be unpopular. I know it goes against what I said, but I have to do this. And he lost re-election. One of the main reasons is because he broke his promise. Now, in this case, unlike Hutchinson and other people, now, if they have a real good reason, they need to explain it. But in his case, he explained, I had to do what was best for the country, and I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it. Uh, maybe a better example would be um, Herbert Hoover in the 1930s with the Great Depression. He was adamantly opposed to the government getting involved in the economy and getting involved in business. He did, you know, the Congress wanted to send checks to the American people to help them through the Depression. And he said, no, it would be a horrible precedent for us to start sending checks from the Treasury to the American people. It is just a bad precedent that we don't want to set. And I am a limited government conservative. I don't believe in that. I don't want to do that. So some historians, of course, argue with him that that was the wrong move. It just prolonged the Depression and everything. But he refused to budge. This was his principle. He believed that was wrong. And he lost re-election. But, um, but he had his pride and he had his dignity. And over years, there were a lot of, you know, he able, was able to reclaim his former reputation as people realized that he was standing for principle. And many people thought he was right after they saw what FDR was doing with getting the government involved in businesses, uh, you know, and, and creating Social Security and unemployment and all these other things that he created. There were a lot of people that looked at that and said, you know what, Hoover was right. We shouldn't be doing this. This is a disaster. So he was proven right. Um, and then we have other cases where, you know, that you stand on principle and you don't always lose, but, but still, you get a lot of blowback, like Truman when he dropped the atomic bombs. There were a lot of people who were opposed to that. They thought it was an overreaction. They thought it was uh, horrible. You were killing innocent people. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he did it because he, he this was a principle. Um, he believed in this was the right thing to do. And in that case, it turned out that when it ended the war, a lot of people changed their opinion. But you know, so, I, you know, there are many cases of, of people who have stood the ground. In some cases, it works out for them. In some cases, it doesn't. Um, but we need to have principle. I mean, the people are the ultimate judges. At the end of the day, we can vote. We can say, you show poor judgment, we're going to vote you out. But you need to use your own judgment. You can't, you can't have people who are weather vanes who just stand out there and watch what direction – the winds of public opinion are blowing and then jump that way. And then, you know, it, it, that's not, that's not principled. That's not, you know, you're just, the country goes back and forth. Uh, an example of that is um, during Bill Clinton's presidency, we saw that quite a bit like with Haiti and, and uh, with uh, Cuban refugees and other things where he would take a position and then public opinion would come out. They would take a poll and the people would be opposed to it. So then he would come out and restate that he's changed his mind. This is going to be the new policy of the United States. 
and then there'd be huge blowback like in the Cuban Cuban community um, from these Cuban refugees coming from Cuba to, to get away from Castro and socialism. And so then the Cuban community in Florida flipped out and he was afraid he was going to lose Florida. So then he went back and, well, okay, okay, we will allow Cubans to come into this country, but, um, you know, we're going to try to limit it, you know. And he had like three or four different policies in the span of a couple of months. Same thing with Haiti. You know, he, you know, he was he was going to stand with the Haitian dictator, and then, then there was a coup, and he was going to stand with the coup leaders, and then oh, now they didn't support the coup any longer. Then he was, we're going to send in troops to get rid of the coup leader. Oh, okay, well we're not going to send in troops, but you know we're going to, you know, I mean he just he kept going back and forth, vacillating between one position and another because because the polls were indecisive. The polls, you know, it depended on who you were polling, and some groups liked it some groups hated it and he didn't know which position to take because it would it was going to anger a certain group of people and he didn't want to do that you know he needed to preserve himself for re-election he needed florida he needed the cuban vote he needed you know um he wanted to look pro-military but you know if he was too pro-military he would lose many of the anti-war democrats but you know but if he if he was too anti-war then he wouldn't be able to bring in independents and conservatives who you know, who think that we need to use our military power for good. And, you know, and so, you know, instead of taking a principled position, it kept jumping back and forth, you know, between them. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was just ridiculous. And that's what I'm seeing here more and more is uh, people who are taking unprincipled stands, just basing it on politics or political opinion instead of on principle. So one day they're in favor of this, and then a poll comes out and shows that people aren't in favor of it, so they retract. And then, you know, uh, uh, another example I just thought of was the war in Iraq. Uh, and this really hurt both John Kerry and Hillary Clinton, because when we first went into Iraq, it was very, very popular. The American people overwhelmingly supported going to war. Um, and so the Democrats, people like John Kerry, like Hillary Clinton, when they were in the Senate, jumped on the bandwagon and voted for the war. See, we're we we're with America first. We stand with America. We're going to do this. Well, then shortly after the war started, we realized that that we were misled. Now, whether or not I'm not going to make the case whether Bush misled the nation or whether the intelligence misled Bush, who ended up misleading the nation, that's not irrelevant. The point is that the American people then soured on the war when they found out that everything they had been sold wasn't true. So then the war became very unpopular. So when both John Kerry in 2004 ran against George W. Bush and Hillary Clinton in 2008 when she was running against Barack Obama for the nomination, they both then were put in a position to have to defend why they voted for the Iraq war. When not only 90% of the Democrats, but a huge majority of the, Repo of, of the country was opposed to the war in Iraq. Now they had to explain why they went ahead and supported the war, especially since they've been criticizing them, George W. Bush, for getting us into a war that was unnecessary. And then, well, how come you voted for it then? And that's when John Kerry made his infamous uh, statement, which completely sailed the, uh, nailed the lid on his political career uh, when he said, 
I was for the war before I was against it. Um, because they took a position based on politics and what they thought would be politically the best thing for them when they ran for president. So look, pro-war, pro-country, pro-military, and um, it ended up backfiring on them because then when public mood changed, they wanted to come out there and act like they were against the war. And uh, they couldn't do it. Neither one of them could do it because they had because it was it was completely obvious. I mean, at least with George W. Bush, he and this has helped him when he ran for election. He stuck with his principles. Okay, we may have had some bad intel, but I still believe it was the right thing to do. You know, he stuck with his principles and said, I still think it was the right thing to do, even though the war is not going well. And we found out a lot of things since then that that soured us. But I still think it's the right thing to do. I think we should continue. The Democrats then, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I supported it before I was against it. I didn't really like the war. Uh, I just thought it was the right thing to do at the time, but I was wrong. And actually, I hate the war now. I think it was horrible. And if I could do it again, I wouldn't support it. And, you know, it just made them look really weak and wishy-washy. And and that did affect them uh, because they, they played politics instead of standing for principle. So anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what uh, Governor Hutchinson is thinking of Arkansas. I don't know why. He went back. I don't know why Christy know him, even if there was a threat. I think she should have just stood for principle and said, I, I'm going to do what I think is right and not, uh, you know, and not cater to uh, public opinion. If you don't like it, then you can vote me out. I mean, that's but as long as I have this job, as long as I hold this office, I'm going to do what I think is best for the state and for its people. You know, and. That's all I can do. And if you don't agree with it, then you have a choice on election day to decide whether or not you want to take the country in a different, or the state in a different direction. <laughs> so that's what I would have done. But anyway, I just I just don't understand that at all. Um, one interesting thing I found this week also was that Biden is. I guess this is part of his infrastructure plan that he's talking about um, finishing up portions of the wall that had been started by Donald Trump, which I thought was rather ironic um, considering that they ran against that for so long. But I, I, I don't know. I suppose that if there are gaps in sections where the wall wasn't completed, I guess you'd have to fill them. I mean, there'd be no point in having, any portion of the wall, if there's big holes in the middle of it, um, you know, if you only have like a wall here and then like 50 miles, you have more of a wall. I mean, what's, what's the point? All that money was wasted, I guess. Um, so I, I don't know his reasoning for it, but he's been very, uh, uh, quiet about it. You haven't really heard a whole lot about this. It's being reported in a couple of conservative sites. Uh, but the liberal media has not really talked about this at all is rather interesting uh but I, I just thought that was an interesting uh turn of events that um it, it seems like everything old is new again you know biden wants to 
finished building the wall. The kids are in cages. The, uh, you know, we're having a crisis on the border. Um, it just seems like deja vu. The only thing different is that it's a different president, not the policies are really, in a lot of areas, not that different. I mean, I'm, obviously there are many policy issues that are different between Trump and Biden, but I mean, on some of these bigger issues, it seems like it's not really a big difference between the two um, as far as like immigration and, and things like that are concerned. Uh, uh, speaking of the infrastructure program, I know that Joe Manchin is the senator from West Virginia is throwing a wrench in the whole thing. He's he's threatening to vote against the infrastructure plan, which I don't know why. I don't know the details. I just know that a lot of liberals are very upset with Joe Manchin right now. I'm seeing this in my social media. Very angry with them. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure why, but this is the problem that you have when you have one party rule. It's the same problem the Republicans had right after Trump was elected and they had the House and the Senate, that there's a lot of infighting because, it, because it, it's easy to be unified when you're all opposed to one thing or one party. You know, when you don't have any power, everything is stop whatever that side is doing. Um, and you can stand united. But when you suddenly have power, then everybody has their own different opinions of how to fix things because, well, we have the power now. I'm not, you know, I'm not just going to sign up for something stupid. This is what I want to see done. You had that problem with Obamacare uh, 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 during the Trump, early Trump years. They wanted to get rid of Obamacare and replace it. But you all of a sudden had all, you know, all during the Obama years, the Republicans were united. Let's get rid of Obamacare. Every presidential candidate, let's get rid of Obamacare. Let's get rid of Obamacare. First thing I'm going to do in office is get rid of Obamacare. And then they get into power. And then suddenly you start having all the different factions. Well, um, I think we should get rid of Obamacare, but I think we should have something similar to that, except we shouldn't have the mandate or we shouldn't have this. And then you have other people who say we should scrap it completely and just use health insurance provided by businesses. Well, then other people are like, no, I don't think that the thing that puts an undue burden on business, we should have it. The people have to get their own health care, but let's get rid of pre-existing conditions. Let's do, you know, and suddenly, you know, now that they have the power to change things, they're just not all, in, you know, they're all in unison. Let's get rid of Obamacare. But now they're now that they have the option to change it. Well, now they're going to they're going to have different opinions on how to how to go about that change. And that's the same problem you're having with the Democrats right now is, you know, well, we need infrastructure. Well, I think everybody agrees we need an infrastructure program. Our bridges are falling apart. Our, our roads are falling apart. Our you know, our dams, our levees, our, you know, our, our pipes are, you know, in some places like San Francisco and Detroit and things. These pipes haven't been changed since, you know, the early 1900s. Um, they were put underground and then over the years we've paved over them. And because back then they were put underground when, when there was no pavement, you know, so it was easy to dig them up and change. But then as we progressed as a nation, we started putting sidewalks and pavements and and, uh, you know, asphalt and all these things on over them and uh, and built entire huge cities over them. And now those things are over 100 years old and they're starting to rust. They're starting to contaminate the water. They're starting to, you know, fall apart. And it's so difficult to get to them now because they're underneath cities. 
you'd have to dig up the entire city in order to change all of these pipes. And so it costs so much money that nobody wants to do it. It would cost so much money and be such a distraction and turmoil to the city to have to shut down all the streets and all the businesses. Some of the businesses have been built over pipes and things. I mean, it would just be so costly. Nobody wants to do it. Everybody agrees that it needs to be done, I, just about. And But nobody nobody agrees on how to do it. Well, and that's the problem that now, you know, for years, Democrats have been saying, we need infrastructure, we need infrastructure. And then now that they have the control of both houses of Congress and the White House, Joe Biden says, we need to do infrastructure. And now suddenly it's, well, okay, we do need to do infrastructure, but how about we just do this? Or how about we do it in a sections? How about we don't do it all at once? I think that'll run up the debt. How about we only do roads and bridges right now and let's worry about the pipes later or let's let's you know <clears throat> you know whatever and so now they're going to argue about about these things and it's that, that's what i've said before it's going to be hard for biden to get a lot of things passed because i mean forget the republicans i mean it it, it doesn't matter at this point if the republicans support anything he does because they have a majority with Kamala Harris being able to break a tie. It's the Democrats he's going to have trouble with because he's got to get every Democrat on board to pass anything. And the Democrats aren't going to be unified on every issue, you know, and that's the problem with Joe Manchin. I'm not sure what his argument is, if it's about raising taxes or if it's about the business concerns or shutting down businesses in order to do some of this stuff. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what his argument is, but this is the problem that you're going to have, that he has, you know, um, you know, it's the same thing with like raising the minimum wage. You know, you're going to have some people who think that it should only be only raised to $10 an hour. Some people who are going to say, I'm arguing for $15 an hour and I'm not budging. Then you're going to have some progressives who say $15 an hour is hardly anything. We'll need to renew it in another year or two anyway. Might as well just go up to $20 an hour and then not have to deal with it for, for a while. You know, so they might all agree, all the Democrats might agree that the minimum wage needs to be raised. But they're going to argue on how much it should be raised. And what will end up happening, nine times out of ten, is that it won't be raised at all. They will end up just chucking it and saying, forget about it, we'll, we'll put it on the table, we'll worry about it another day. Because we don't, you know, there are other issues we want to get to, and we don't want to sit here and get into a huge debate and a fight over this issue. So, you know... That's what tends to happen. So I'm not I'm not really sure what's going to happen with this infrastructure plan because um, it probably will pass, but it probably won't pass the way that Biden wants it, uh, the way it looks on paper right now. It probably be a much more watered down version, but we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out over the next few months. And they really only have a few months to do this. Uh, because by next year, it's going to be considerably harder to get things passed because it's an election year. And there's going to be many Democrats who are going to be up for re-election. And they're going to um, not want to take strong positions on issues that might hurt them. As we talked about before, about the lack of principle in politics, they're not going to want to take positions that are going to hurt them in November of next year. So, and the Republicans are going to be 
all out trying to sabotage the Democrats because they want to retake the majority either in the House or the Senate. So, you know, so they're not going to be playing ball and trying to work on any bipartisan issue. So they've really only got this year to get much done because there's not really going to be much of a chance next year. Uh, so, you know, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, the book, I told you last week I was going to talk a little bit about the book Lucky that I was reading. Um, yeah, it was a really solid book. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, um, it really gave you a lot of backstage stories about the Biden campaign and why they did what they did. It talked a little bit about the Trump campaign. I did appreciate the fact that I, I thought they, they did a good job of portraying Trump the few places that they talked about him. Because many books try to be as salacious as possible, make him look as stupid and uh, and crazy as, as they possibly can. And this one really was more focused on Biden. So the areas they talked about Trump, I mean, they were critical in some areas about Donald Trump. But, um, but it was a much more even-handed critical. And like I said, they were very critical about Biden, too. So it wasn't like a one-sided Biden is, is the great man and Trump was the lunatic. Um, you know, they were critical about both of them, and they talked about some of the good things both of them did. Uh, they talked about some of the problems, um, you know, that, that Trump had. Uh, one thing I thought was rather interesting was they talked about um, the George Floyd situation and how Trump was conflicted early on because he saw the video and he was sympathetic to George Floyd. He thought that, that the police officer went too far. But he wasn't sure. Again, this goes back to um, principle or politics over principle. Uh, he wasn't sure how how to address it because he's he was the law and order guy and the pro police guy, and he didn't know how to criticize that officer without making it look like he was criticizing the police force in general. Um, so he was he was. Conflicted, but then of course, you had the riot start right afterward, and then it gave him an opportunity to not have to make that decision because he could come out in against the protests and uh, and return to his law and order comments about you know um, you know you know when the looting starts the shooting starts and and looking very tough. So I thought that was rather interesting. I, I didn't know that there was some uh, turmoil in his soul about what to do and what to say about the George Floyd incident. Um, and then uh, on, on the Biden side, it was it really talked about how they, it, it, I mean, he didn't literally hide in his basement, but he did stay home. Uh, and how that was a stroke of luck for them because they were afraid that Biden's gaffes would destroy his candidacy. And they said in there that they could use the excuse of the pandemic and Biden's age because he was in the risk group that he needed to not come out and campaign. So, and, and the press bought it because we were in the middle of a pandemic and it, and it made, it made some sense for him not to be out there holding huge rallies and things, but that wasn't the reason why the campaign chose to have him stay home, it was specifically to keep him off the campaign trail, number one. And number two, 
the old adage that if your opponent is shooting himself in the foot, you don't interfere. And Trump was holding these nightly um, press briefings in which he was getting a lot of pushback and blowback from it by making, you know, by, by, you know, saying stuff like, you know, we'll be open by Easter. Well, this thing will end, you know, when the, when, when the warm weather comes out, this will all go away. And, and they thought the press will then be focused on Trump and all the ridiculous things that Trump says, and they won't be talking about us. We can stay home claiming because of the pandemic, let him go out there and hold his rallies and, and all that, because every time he opens his mouth, press finds something to criticize him about. And that'll become the cycle that they all talk about is Trump, you know, Trump said this today, Trump did that today. And so, so they said, really, it worked to Biden's advantage that he could stay home under the guise of staying safe and trying to set an example. And they said that they really think, uh, and some of his advisors on the condition of anonymity said that they think that's what won him the election. That um, that it, it wasn't anything that Biden said. It was what Biden didn't say. He didn't have any gaffes. He didn't have, he wasn't on the campaign trail. And uh, the press did the work for them, making Trump look foolish, attacking Trump about everything he said. And so Biden just seemed normal as the alternative. Biden seemed like he was the calm, cool, collected candidate who was going to bring us back to normalcy. And Trump just seemed erratic and crazy and wild-eyed and conspiratorial. And, you know, and so people voted against that and for a guy who didn't seem that way, which in actuality, as we all know, Biden is not those things. And, uh, but he was very lucky and that was the point of the book and that, and they talked about him being lucky a lot throughout the book, but they said at the end, that's where he became very lucky was that he wasn't, you know, if the pandemic had, had gone away at some point, he would have, it would have forced him to have to come out and face the, the voters without these pre-planned, pre-screened videos and without scripts and all this. And even the Biden people concede that Trump probably would have won had they had to come out and actually meet the candidate and meet the voters. Um, so the pandemic was very lucky in their, in their estimation and that's how they got elected. So it's a, it's a, it was a really good read. I, I would recommend it. Um, uh, it probably would be available at the library. I don't know if I would recommend buying it. It was a little pricey, I thought, for the book. But if you find it at your local, if you find it at a used bookshop or, you know, or if you see it at the library, I would recommend checking it out and reading it. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say go out and buy it because I don't think it was that good. Um, but yeah, I would definitely read it if you get an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, I think that's all we're going to do today. Uh, sorry, this one, I just, this one wasn't as, there wasn't as much good information as I could find in Michigan politics. I felt like I kind of really didn't, I didn't really get to go into a lot of detail about Michigan politics this week. And um, I could, I just couldn't really find anything. So hopefully next week we'll have some more good stories and 
things like that. So anyway, I'll talk to you all real soon. Uh, bye, everyone.